I'm really proud of my legacy as an employment lawyer who really helped create great workspaces. And so that was a great legacy, but I wanted more. And that's when I got on a purpose journey. Okay, so you have a profession and then you have your purpose. And those can be two different things or they can be a part of your journey as well. So I was like, this is great and purposeful, but I really want to do more. So I took a trip to Africa with a friend of mine who had started a nonprofit there. And when I was there, I realized how much I loved being there, working with the children who were learning new ways of, of learning and growing. And I said, okay, I need to get off of the partnership track. I need to get out of the legal pathway so I can figure out what I'm really supposed to do. So I did the thing you're not supposed to do. I left the practice and um, took a 50% pay cut. And I got the opportunity to start the very first pre-law program on the modern Miami University. Welcome to Smart Career and Money Moves, a podcast for professionals seeking fulfillment and purpose in their careers. Each week, we will sit down with experts and trailblazers to discuss the ups and downs of finding and following your passions, whether it's through climbing the corporate ladder, starting a business, or launching a side hustle. So let's get into the show. Hello, hello. Today we have Miss Yvette Simpson. She is the queen of reinvention. Today on the Smart Career and Money Moves podcast. And let me tell you, Yvette has her hands in a bunch of cool, cool stuff. Just a list of few things. She's an attorney, a licensed realtor. She's built a brand as a political commentator and strategist. She served as a CEO of um, Democracy for America. And on top of all that, she ran for the mayor of my hometown, Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Yvette. I am so glad to be here with you, Jerry, and your, your wonderful audience. I can't wait to dig into all the things today. Hopefully something I say will inspire someone. I know it will. There's so much to unpack here. I, I want the listeners to really understand the journey of where you started to, to where you are now, because I think, you know, a lot of people, they, they see the end result and they laser focus on that, but the jewels and the gems are really in the journey. So I want to start with your corporate career. You started as an attorney. Mm -hmm. You could have literally taken that career anywhere you wanted to go, a million different directions. How did you find your lane? So when I was eight years old, I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. So I was one of those kids that just kind of knew. And um, no one in my family had gone to college before, though. So it was kind of a dream. But I, like when I was a kid, anything I could get my hands on, I would read about it. I wanted to be a lawyer, knew that was something I wanted to do. Went to law school, of course, passed the bar, got an offer at a major law firm, and really enjoyed the sophistication of the practice. Of course, the hours are long, it's grueling. Um, anybody who's at a major law firm knows it's a lot of tough work, but my original dream was to be a lawyer, become a partner, and maybe one day become a judge. And that was supposed to be the path. Well, I mean, my nickname is Queen of Reinvention, so you know it didn't end there. And what I realized was there was a lot that I liked about the practice of law. But I found myself in the evenings and on weekends really digging into work that felt more meaningful. Right. So helping a company deal with employee issues. I'm an employment lawyer, uh, making sure we've got great policies to keep and retain people, making sure we're not discriminating. So my whole role was proactive work to build amazing workplaces where anybody can work. So I did not did work with clients who were trying to, like, you know, not promote black and brown people. I'm really proud of my legacy as an employment lawyer who really helped create great workspaces. And so that was a great legacy. But I wanted more. And that's when I got on a purpose journey. Okay, so you have a profession and then you have your purpose. And those can be two different things or they can be a part of your journey as well. So I was like, this is great and purposeful, but I really want to do more. So I took a trip to Africa with a friend of mine who had started a nonprofit there. And when I was there, I realized how much I loved being there, working with the children who were learning new ways of, of learning and growing. And I said, okay, I need to get off of the partnership track. I need to get out of the legal pathway so I can figure out what I'm really supposed to do. So I did the thing you're not supposed to do. I left the practice and um, took a 50% pay cut. And I got the opportunity to start the very first pre-law program at my alma mater, Miami University. So that was my first major transition. 
I can tell you that when I talked to my dad about it, I may he rest, but when I talked to him about it, he was like, who takes the 50% pay cut? He didn't get it. You <laughs> yeah. spent your whole career talking about being a lawyer. Now you're a lawyer. Now you're leaving. And you have loans. And really you hard. have student loans. Yes, I have student loans. <laughs> and I was making more money than anybody in my family had ever seen. So my dad's like, you making all this money. What's the problem? You got a pathway. What's the problem? And a lot of times what happens is we find that the thing that we want to do that we're good at, we can keep doing or we can get on the purpose journey to really look at what is it that we're supposed to do in this season. And I knew that I'm still a practicing attorney. I am still at my law firm, but my passion and my joy was not in full-time practice. It was in helping other people achieve the thing that they want to do. And that's what I get to do most of my day. And even at the law firm. So you you had seen some success in your, your career as an attorney, but how did you make the hard decision? How did you know that me taking this 50% pay cut, like, this is the right thing that I should be doing. You know, it was funny. I kind of felt it because like I told you, even as a practicing attorney, I was like on boards and I love that work and I was volunteering and I found that that work just was more satisfying. When I got back from Africa though, it consumed me. All I could think about was how do I make a difference? I was doing sophisticated, great work, billing hours, doing the thing, but it was like, it didn't bring me that kind of joy. It felt like a job, but not a purpose. And so I was like, okay, I can either continue to build hours and do community service work as two different things, or I can make my passion my profession. And so I said, how do I step out of this and then get into another path? And I really, you really just need a distance. You know, just like, I don't know what the end game is going to be, but I just need to get out of this pathway so I can see what's possible. And as you know, from my story, it was when I was at Miami that I found my passion to then become an elected official. Because just being able to step away from it and say, okay, now I'm trying something new. This was a dream I'd had for 20 years. This was something I wanted to do since I was a kid. So I kind of had to step out of that and say, okay, what's possible and what's next? And I know that's really hard for people to do. It did seem crazy even to me back then because it was like, I grew up poor. So I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> right. Like walking away from money is is not a luxury, you know, a lot of us have. So yeah, it was a tough decision, but so you made that decision, you're spending some time at the university and for a moment, that is the fulfillment. And then kind of walk me, what led you to the city of Cincinnati and ultimately running for mayor? It was crazy. So I had built this program at Miami. I ran that program for five years and I wasn't in the city during the day. I was living in the city. So I was actually kind of when I was in Oxford, because Oxford is about 45 minutes north of Cincinnati, and that's where my office was. I found myself paying more attention to what was happening in my city because I wasn't there all day. And I was reading the news and doing all this stuff because I was running this pre-law program. Of course, our students had to be had to know, and I was a professor in political science. So I'm paying attention now to what's going on. So all of a sudden, a friend of mine who was an elected official asked me to be on a steering committee researching why more women don't run for office. And I said, okay, you need somebody on the steering committee? I'll be on it, you know? And at the end of that study, she said to me, do you want to run? And I said, absolutely not. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I said no to her three times. I worked on her campaign. I loved getting her elected. And then she came back and like, how about now? I was like, nope. <laughs> like it took me a while to really say, okay, is this really something that I believe? Now, all the time this is happening, I'm paying attention now. So I'm watching, you know, council meetings. I'm looking at what's happening and I'm starting to think like, I can do this. Like, this doesn't seem so hard. I bet if I did it, I could do a better job. And she knew it because then, that, that, then I called her and I said, let's have lunch. And she said, you're going to do it, aren't you? And I was like, yep. And I decided to run for office. What was behind the no? What was the apprehension? Because the same reason people don't like politics. Like I was like, you know, I'm ethical. <laughs> I don't want to be about that. Like politics is dirty, it's ugly. Like nobody great ever does it. But remember in the, in the middle of that, Barack Obama got elected. So it was one of those things where I was like, well, he's actually pretty great. And I worked on some of this stuff with him, you know, for his campaign. I was a, um, actually for Ohio, I was an election protection official as a licensed attorney. Uh, and worked on that with them. I did a fundraiser for Michelle Obama here in Cincinnati. And I was like, well, 
he seems decent. If he can be in politics, maybe you can't be decent and be in politics. Yeah, so he encouraged a lot of people. <laughs> a whole generation of people um, to, especially Black and Brown people, but just really anybody who felt like, you know, hey, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be your birthright to be in politics. So you don't have to be from a certain family or from a certain set of schools. You can actually like, you know, be good and be in politics. And that was when I decided to give it a shot. And it was funny because I ran while I was still at Miami. And typically you don't win on the first try in Cincinnati. So I had told my boss at Miami, like, I'm going to do this, but like, I'm not going to win. So we got a few more years and then I won <laughs> the first time. So then I had some explaining to do. I had to be like, okay, so actually <laughs> might not have a couple more years. So that was how I ended up transitioning. Okay. So you kind of go for this appoint this uh, to become a city official and then you have to end up quitting your job. You hadn't, I hadn't calculated I was going to win. So I was like, I'll run and then I'll lose. And then I'll run again. If I feel up, like it's something I really want to do. It was supposed to be just practice. Get yourself out there, get known, see how you like running, you know, and then you'll run again because that was typically what happened. You have to run more than once. And then I won. And so then I went to my boss and said, okay, I won. Let's see if I can do both. Because in Cincinnati, technically you're a part-time elected official, even though it really isn't. Well, the third time the mayor called me and said, Simpson, I need you down here. And I was 45 minutes away. He was like, you might need to reconsider this. So then that was when I uh, passed off the program that I had created that was fully endowed. That was this beautiful program that I had started off to somebody else to run. And so it, for me as a career coach, I harp on... Uh, the importance of building a brand. Yeah. And so I want to talk about your experience of building your brand because you didn't even think you were going to win, right? You didn't even want to do it. So it's like, what are some of the things that you learned while you were going through that process? Like, how do you just become, you, you know, you go from a, a unknown, you know, attorney to, you know, helping students at the university. And now like you've built a name for yourself. You've built the brand. Talk to me about that. It was crazy because even the papers, like they thought I would finish 15th. You have to finish top nine. Mm. And they were like, you know, that Simpson seems great, but she doesn't come from a political family. She didn't raise enough money. She didn't, she, she was out there, but she didn't get enough places. We project she'll finish 15th and I finished seventh. So it was like, which means I got in and I ended up like beating some folks that raised more money and were better known. And I'm like, hello. So one of the things that I did, which was so true, and, and we'll talk a little bit later about the book, but I was myself through the whole thing. Mm. Like I didn't do what everybody told me to do. So like in politics, you know, you go and you shake hands and then you go to the next event, you shake hands and you just keep moving. I would stay at one event and like talk to people to the end, help them put the table and chairs away, get to know people. I would go to a church and rather than going up and you know, go up and speak and then run out, I would do only do one church at a time. So I would stay and people could talk to me. And people said, that's just not going to work. But what happened was people saw me as different. And so when I won, this one young lady came up to me and she said, you went to my grandmother's church and she saw you. And she remembered that you stayed and you shook hands and you talked to people. She said, she told everybody in our family to vote for you. We got a hundred people in our family that listens to our grandmother. And that's what I kept hearing. Like community groups would say, oh, Yvette, she stayed. We appreciated the fact that she was there. And they would just tell everybody. And so it ended up being the point of distinction. So no, I didn't win the race of like, get to five events in a day, shake hands, say your name and keep it moving. Because mm -hmm. I stayed in one place, I made real fans who were willing to then recommend me wow. to other people. So that's probably a branding lesson in that from that you probably are sharing with the folks you coach is it felt inauthentic to me to be running in and out of places and trying to shake people's hands. I did the thing that was authentic to me, which is to actually get to know people. And because I did, not only did it help me win, but it was the way that I served. I served that way the entire time. Very community focused, always with people, staying and listening to the very end. That was the way, that was my model. And that became my brand. And actually our original brand was, no, it actually, our original brand was um, 152. So we have 52 neighborhoods, one city. Mm. After that, we got the power of we which was, so the power of we is the brand I'm known for now for my elected leadership, which is, it's not about me, it's about you. 
And that we're going to be out with each and every one of you. And you are the one that runs the city. So the power of we became this mantra because so many politicians, they stay in city hall. You never see them. They don't come out, spend no time with you, you know, and this idea that like, I work for you. You're a part of the governing body of this city. It's about all of us, not just about one person. So that became kind of the brand. And I got to, so the, the 52 was an interesting thing because I visited every single one of our neighborhoods, all 52 when I was running. I was the only council person that made it to every single one and actually was in every community. Oh, wow. And spent that time. I mean, you said some amazing things and, you know, I kind of help people in their job search and in their careers and it takes confidence and you have to be brave to do what you said, to be yourself, Mm -hmm. because sometimes corporate America can, you know, the framework or it seems that I need to pretend I need to do whatever to do to fit in. And you just blew that out of the water because that's exactly what you need to do in any facet of your career, it's like if you really want to build the relationships and, you know, get people to know you, it starts with being you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just sitting here shaking my head. Yeah, it's a big part of it. And I think that's the challenge, right? Like we believe that if we can't be who we are, then people aren't going to accept us, love us. But then you spend so much time being somebody else. First of all, they might not like that person either. And guess what? That ain't really you. So you might as well just show up as you. And for me, this was kind of an experiment. I call it the experiment. It seems a little trite now, but it was like, I'm going to do this because I was kind of proving myself right. Because remember, I told you I originally didn't want to run because I didn't think you could be yourself. I didn't think you could be authentic and a good person. So I was like, well, I'll run as me. And if I win as me, then I'll serve as me. And I tell elected leaders this all the time. How you run is how you're going to serve. Mm. So if you run as this person who's a certain way, that's how you're going to show up. So you need to be yourself when you run. And if people accept you as you when you run, then you can lead that way. And so it was easy for me to lead that way because that was the person that everybody elected. So it would have been inauthentic for me to become somebody different once I got into the office. And so I was like, let's see if I can run as me, win as me. And I got all this advice Mm -hmm. that felt wrong to me and I just didn't take it. Like I was like, you know, like, oh, you take money from everybody. No, I didn't take money that I didn't feel was right. And in fact, we focused more on building with people than we did building with money. And that ended up being successful because I said I beat a bunch of people who raised a lot more money, but didn't spend that time connecting with people. And that's advice I still give to elected leaders. Like, you know, money can't vote. People can. <laughs> building relationship with people is going to get you a lot further than if you're just so worried about how much money am I going to have? And then guess what? Now you're beholden to the people right. and not to the small group of people who gave you money. Now you're a leader for the people and people still call me the people's champion. It was funny. Um, you talked about the mayor's race. So we lost, we won the primary, lost the general. And I, I would, and that was a national race. It was featured in Essence and Ebony Magazine because it was the year of the black woman lawyer, um, black woman mayor. And so I was in D.C. just random. And this guy comes to me like, you're a Vat Simpson. So they call me the people's mayor of Wakanda. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, I'm the the mayor of every city, Wakanda, Black people. Um, So I love that. I love that. Um, So, yeah, authenticity is a huge part of this. And, you know, that means being who you are, loving who you are, leading, starting with who you are and not being afraid of any of that. And honestly, there's such peace in that, that we don't talk about enough, you know, not trying to be something you're not. Yeah. Something you said that was very interesting. You were talking about um, being a leader and leading the people and building relationships. And that to me, I was going to jump into your next career move, but it that sounds like CEO, like that's giving CEO vibes. So, you know, I, I'm kind of answering my own question because I'm like, well, how did you jump to the next phase? But it seems like, you know, running for office kind of gave you the Mm -hmm. tools. Um, But what kind of influenced you to make the move after running for office back into CEO of corporate? So um, after the election, you know, you're starting over now. So I didn't have a backup plan on the mayor's race. We were expected to win. A bunch of money got thrown into the race at the last minute. We barely lost that race. So I'm like, okay, what's next? So I said, you know, I've got to take a chance and build something. So I built a consulting company and my very first client 
was Democracy for America. And I made a commitment to them that I would be a consultant for them, help them build a political program at their organization. And after six months, they asked me to come on as CEO. They didn't pick an internal candidate. They didn't do a search. They said, you're the one. And over the course of that year, when I, so I proposed to them that I would build an election program, a federal elections program for six months. Okay. And then we would see, and I had just built this consulting program. So I had not expected to go in house with them. I expected to do this project. And if they had another project, I would go work on other things. And I took a lot of time to think about whether I wanted to shift from consulting into going in house and becoming a CEO with them. One, I was the first woman. I was the first black person. I knew that was going to be stressing and crazy. They had a whole team of staff members who I had only known as a consultant for six months. So like, like now I've got to, I'm going to come in as their boss. So there was a lot of interesting pieces of that. But I felt like when they chose me, it was because they saw me lead over the course of the year. So when I was their consultant, I would go out. And so, you know, the squad, you know, AOC, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, Katie Porter, Stacey Abrams. These were all my candidates in that first year. And so I went around the country and I helped support them to win. I helped them, you know, gave them advice, coaching, counseling, helped them build organizing and all that. So I worked on 40 races, 40 elections in that six month period across the country. And what I think our founder would say is what he saw me do was lead. He saw me, you know, like I was embraced by these candidates. They let me in. I became. Um, their consultant, their friend, even still now. And he liked that. He liked that in leadership. And it was funny when he asked me to come on as CEO, the first thing I said was, well, I hate politics. So (laughs) he goes, that's exactly what we need. Because I've always said, I was an elected leader and a public servant, but politics is ugly. And I never liked that side of it. That never changed. Um, I still don't like the politics of politics. I like the service of politics. So he saw, they saw something in me. And said, let's give it a shot. And I was like, no. And my friend was like, you can do it for a couple of years and just see. And at that time, Trump was around. So I was like, well, in the next two years, if I can lead an organization and we can deal with, you know, what's coming down the pike with Trump running for president. Okay. Okay. So my pledge was to stay for two years uh, until we defeated Trump. And as you know, I stayed a little longer than that. A little longer than that. Yeah, I mean, well, I think what's interesting for me is that, like, most people don't look at people who are even politics adjacent and, like, Mm -hmm. it just seems like a different kind of career, right? Just outside looking in because a lot of people just don't know what goes on. But, like, everything you're saying is, like, applicable to, like, corporate America, all the things you have to learn, all the things you have to go through. And even now, I mean, I, I use those parallels when I coach companies. Same thing. I mean, I'm an executive strategist. That is like kind of how I'm known is helping executives figure out how to lead, you know, to build the strategy to lead. If you're leading a political organization, if you're running a state, a city, a nation, it's not that different than I get the same. I give the same advice. I see the same challenges and opportunities when I coach startups. When I coach heads of national Fortune 500 companies, it's a similar struggle, right? Because you're running something, nonprofit leaders, same idea, same thing, you know, and it all starts with that very same thing. You know, it was funny. I don't know if you've heard Michelle Obama say that she had imposter syndrome. And when she said that, I was like, she is arguably the most powerful woman in the whole world. And she acknowledged that she has imposter syndrome. And I see that in corporate, I see that in nonprofit, I see that in the startup, small business world. There are so many parallels. And so the advice that I give tends to be kind of the same. <laughs> I mean, a person, you know, you know, I had a, have a very had a very close relationship with the vice president, um, Kamala Harris. She came in and helped me with my marriage race. And of course, you know, she you know, has helped so many amazing black and brown women across the country. You know, it's, a, it's the the struggle that she has. It's very similar to what you might see with a with a woman who's running a Fortune 500 company. There's a through line there that I've been able to see in all of my work that I think makes me really, really good at this. It just happens to make me really good at it. And so 
you've pivoted several times. You got some super impressive experience. Your network is crazy, but you still, it seems that like there's this entrepreneurial thread that's underneath it all. And I kind of want to explore that because now on top of everything you've already accomplished, you got a book coming out and you're really on the mission to help people, you know, find purpose and find fulfillment. And that is something everybody's looking for. <laughs> yes. So very true. Love to hear about your journey, you know, to getting to that point. And then what tips can you give us? Because I mean, being off a field is probably one of the number one reasons, you know, people either go recklessly after their goals, don't do anything at all. It can really take you one or two ways. Yeah. You know, I realized that at some point that over the course of my career as the queen of reinvention, as I said, that there are these through lines, that there are these lessons that I thought were applicable to so many different people. And I said, you know, I want to share that. And so when the pandemic hit, it became really clear, right? Because that was a time when people were like forced to face like, okay, life is short. Our life is changing as we know it. And a lot of people who were afraid to take the leap and do the thing that they wanted to do, that they knew that they wanted to do, were like, okay, the time is now. So you saw millions of people leaving the workforce, millions of people starting their own businesses, doing life differently. So I did a TED talk um, about that very thing called From Making a Living to Making a Legacy. And it started with that journey from Africa to the path that I'm on now. Um, had I not left the, the, the law firm, I wouldn't be here because I got on that track and then now I'm, I'm here, right? And my journey has been, I think since then, I think just going from purpose to purpose to purpose, right? Because I always say purpose is not a destination. It's a journey. Purpose is a journey. It's not a destination. So people think, okay, I'm here. I'm done. I'm at my purpose. Well, the reality is, is your purpose in this season may be different than your purpose in the next season. Here's the cheat code to making a career pivot or to getting promoted. First, you need the skills to do the job or the ability to learn how to. Second, you have to be able to market and sell yourself as the best candidate for the job. I created the Career Brand Accelerator as a professional development program to help you become a master at marketing and selling your skills so that you will always have the tools you need to make a career change. Because let's be honest, it's easy to get a new degree or certification or even to revamp your resume, but nothing quite prepares you for establishing your brand and for finding out what makes you unique so that you can stand out from the other job candidates in today's competitive job market. I have good news for you. You don't have to navigate your career on your own. Visit thecareerbrandaccelerator.com to learn more about how to pivot into your next role and how to level up your career without new degrees and certifications and without applying for tons of jobs online. So I decided, of course, that I, you know, I still have my coaching, consulting, speaking, and I decided to write a book about it. And it's been amazing, this journey of really taking some of the lessons from folks that I have worked with and coached whether they be college students, high school students, all the way up to, as we talked about, executives and political leaders, and really help people figure out what the key is, right? And there are some real keys. I'm not going to give it all away. The book will be out in the spring. It's called On Purpose, The Power of Authenticity and Intention. So you see the thing. And I think the two keys in the book is, you know, on purpose, right? Living your life on purpose. That is intention. That is living your life with intention, right? Like you control what you do and you control what you don't do. And we like to tell ourselves that we don't have control, but you actually do. And what you don't control, you control how you respond to. And then there's living life on purpose, meaning living life with purpose, not just out here, but thinking, how can my gifts, talents, interests be used in a way to serve? And how do I get to the place where I'm in that place? And you can serve from corporate America, you can serve from your nonprofit, but how do I get an alignment with the thing that I was born to do, the thing that I'm supposed to do in this season? We call it standing on the X, right? There's a place in the universe where you're supposed to be at a certain time. And when you get there, there'll be people waiting for you and you're going to change their lives when you get there and how we help people get there, not just because of you, but because you're supposed to be there and there are people waiting on you there. So the book is kind of a double on purpose, on purpose. 
But the core of it is authenticity, getting to know you, loving you, for you, as you. This book is for men and women, but I think especially with women, we struggle with loving ourselves in the moment. I'm going to love myself when I make a million dollars. I'm going to love myself when I, when I can dance like Beyonce. I'm going to love myself when I lose 20 pounds. I'm going to love myself when I get that house, when I get that promotion. Like part of it is understanding that who you are in this moment is exactly who you're supposed to be. And you loving you and living in that now is what the world needs, right? The world needs you as you being your best, doing your best every day. And then how do I then take that, who I am and what I'm supposed to do, and then make the changes that I need to make in my life on purpose, with intention to do the thing that I need to do. And there's so much joy in that. Waking up every day knowing that you're putting your head, your heart, and your mind to work that not only brings you joy, but that makes a difference in the way that you only you can, there's some real fulfillment in that. And I can tell you, helping people get to that point, no matter if they're in corporate America, political, you know, whatever, has been the joy of my life. And so I know that my purpose is to help other people live their purpose. I love that. What um, is really powerful that you said is that when you get there, there's somebody waiting for you. That. Because it's like, how do you push through the hard thing? And and it's just amazing that that's something that is a tool that we should be using. Mm-hmm. You know, even with everything I'm doing, starting a coaching business, you know, even starting this podcast is something new. It's something I haven't done before. And so how do I push through the fear? How do I push through doing something I haven't done before? And it's like, you just hit the nail on the head. It's like, somebody is waiting to hear this podcast interview from Yvette. Somebody needs to hear this. And it's like, if you don't get up and do your work and do your thing, you're leaving people behind. That. I mean, that's it. That's what, and and when I, when I tell people that it gets people so emotional because people know that, right? Like my whole philosophy is this, we don't lack a thing. We have everything we need. We don't need more of this or more of that. We just need people in position. We need people to be where they're supposed to be. And if everybody is where they're supposed to be, then we, then we will have everything we need. And I think it's, and I'm not saying this is easy. I want to be very, very clear. There's some real practical considerations to get from where you are. I told you about my 50% pay cut. Now I made that up. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I made that up. I'm, 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 the money's there now. But like I had to make some sacrifices and make some real choices. And so that intention piece, how do we get you to plan to the place where you can make space in your life to get there? Once you figure out your purpose, have you ever heard the quote, once you figure out your purpose, and you say it aloud, the universe will conspire to make it come to pass. So just voicing that thing and saying, here's what I'm supposed to do, all of a sudden, things are going to start to move. So you just need to move with it. You just need to go. And I've had to coach people through, I've gotten a chance to coach people through, okay, so yeah, you, you make this much money and that's going to be real hard. But how do we get you in the mindset to begin to make those shifts so that you can get there? Because money is one thing and fulfillment is something totally different and you can't put a price on it. And I believe that if you're doing the thing that you're supposed to do in the place you're supposed to be, you'll have everything you need anyway. It'll come. Like for me, giving up that 50%, I mean, that's paid off in, in dividends, not just financially, but just in, in the resources that I currently have now because of my network and my ability to make more money in all the things that I do. And so we have to not be afraid to take to make that move. And part of my joy is quick coaching people through that. I did a speaking engagement for a group of women leaders and I was the last speaker before lunch. And so I spoke and then they were supposed to go to lunch. The line of people waiting to talk to me was out the door and went through lunch. Like I stayed through lunch and people like, I was holding people who were like crying because they knew. You know, like they're like, I'm doing this, but I know my purpose is this. And I just don't know how to get from here to there. How do I do it? Okay, let's talk about how you get there. Or I I don't know what my purpose is, but I know it's not this. How do I figure it out? Let's walk you through how you figure it out. And the book goes into all of that. The journey of rediscovery you go through to figure out your purpose. 
um, which I've been through more than once because again, I've, I've had many iterations of this and, uh, and I'm on it again, as you know, in a new way. And then how do you take the steps to, to make it happen and be honest with yourself about what you need and what you don't need and what you're willing to give up to have this thing called fulfillment. Have you heard the, um, Howard Thurman quote, um, don't ask what the world needs, do what makes you come alive and because what the world needs is people who come alive. That's the heart of this is that we keep saying like, oh, well, what should I do? What does the world need? And like the world needs you doing the thing that makes you come alive. And then that's how we get there, whatever that is. So really been a joy to be on this journey of helping people get there because it has been such an emotion. I've not given this talk anywhere without it listening an emotional response from people. And I think the pandemic had a little bit to do with that because it really did force people to really think about how many days do I have remaining and how do I spend those days in the right way? Purpose and legacy became a huge part of the conversation when the pandemic hit and even post pandemic, you know, okay, so, so what now what we realized we can work differently. You know, we don't have to be stuck to a chair all day, every day. You know, we realize that we could work in different places. I got folks who like, I'm moving to Europe and I'm going to be working remotely from Europe. Okay. If your purpose is to be there and somebody's waiting for you in Europe, baby, be there. And I can tell you every time I've made a move, there's always somebody there that is like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for you. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) So how do you coach people through the struggle? They're on a path. They're on a journey looking for fulfillment trying to live on purpose and then bad things, you know, quote unquote, bad, quote unquote, bad things happen for you. You lost the race. Mm-hmm. You lost the mayoral. And so some people, they apply for the job. They don't get it. They get laid off. You know, any of these things can happen. How do you keep going? How do you, you know, dust yourself off? Cause the purpose hasn't changed just because the hard thing happened. That's right. So one of the things I talk about is the, it's called the closed door. And in my TED talk and in the book, we talk about how we focus so much on the closed door. We're staring at this door that's closed. Oh my God, I lost my job. I lost the election. That we don't realize there's an open window on the other side of the room. And we can't see it because we're just staring at this door. Part of it is you got to let that thing go, honey, and turn around and look for what's next. And there's always a window on the other side of every room. Stop looking at the door. And so the way I shorten that is like, you know, you take the lesson from the thing and you leave the hurt behind. And when you leave the hurt behind, then you can start to look ahead. And so if you're stuck on, oh, my God, I lost the thing. I didn't get the job. Guess what? Turn around. There's a whole nother journey. There's a whole nother path. There is not just one path. There's another one. We also have this thing called the tree experience, which is, which is a part of this breaking patterns. We get in patterns. And so something happens and then we keep going around in a circle. We, even when we recognize it, like, oh man, I went up for the promotion. I didn't get it. Well, let me just keep trying. And you come up for the next one and then you don't get it. And you're like, okay, well, Guess what? When you see a tree in a forest that you've seen before, you're going in a circle, go the other way. Make a different choice. Maybe that means you need to leave that job. Maybe that means you need to try something different. But you can't keep seeing the same pattern and doing the same behavior and expect a different result when you recognize that you've been doing the same thing over and over and over again do something different. And so I train people on really small ways of doing things, things different. I might tell you, Jerry, you know, you take, you can tell me how you go to the grocery store every single, how you pick up the baby, how you, you know what, take a different way today, take a different way. And something that small, don't go the same way you always go. Just go a different way. Take a different street, take a different turn. Look at what you see. Just by going a different way, we get stuck in these patterns and it keeps us stuck. So I can only be in this job. It has to be this job. The benefits are so great. Well, honey, you might have a window behind you that is a totally different pathway to where you're supposed to go. So sometimes it starts with these. I tell people just do one thing differently. Just do one thing different. Go to a different grocery store instead of the one you normally go. And then you start to realize how. When we are, do the same thing every day, we see the same stuff. You go a different way. You're like, there's a whole nother side of town I never even knew about. Mm-hmm. There's a whole different kind of people <laughs> over here. 
And so breaking through patterns, yeah. we talk about breaking through patterns. We talk about breaking through the noise that's in our head, right? Old beliefs that tell us we're not good enough. We can't do it. There's no way. We talk about that. And just changing one thing, one thing. And it'll show you that you can change more than one thing. And in fact, that you have control over more than you think. And you really just shifted my perspective because I've never really thought about like how to deal with failure and rejection in this manner. But taking what you said earlier about like we have to do our work because there's someone there waiting for us. But this just makes me think that like when you get to that closed door, it means that your people aren't there. Mm -hmm. There's no one waiting for you there. And so that's your trigger to like, like you said, turn around when the doors close, go through the window. Mm -hmm. The people are over there. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think that's a good way to help people deal with rejection. It's yeah. just like, don't take it personal, but my people aren't there. They're not. There's nothing for me over there. Or there's a different way you get into them. It's not this way. Yes. Right. Be locked in on the goal and the purpose, not necessarily the path. That part. And typically when people can't get over something they lost, it's because they're still dwelling, staring at the closed doors about you're dwelling on this thing. It's keeping you locked. You can't even see that there's something else behind you because you're just so stuck and getting unstuck. Now, I'll tell you, you know, therapy is good. Self-care is good. Do the work to get emotionally through that. Losing an election is a hard thing. You work your butt off. That was supposed to be, quote unquote, my job. That was the only thing I wanted. Well, you know what happened, Jerry. I lost the election. I started a consulting company. I became a CEO. Then ABC came, became a national commentator. NPR came. I'm a national panelist still today on ABC and NPR. So if I had still been like, I ain't the mayor, that didn't work out. Oh man, why wasn't I the mayor? I turned around and there was another, there was a totally different place I was supposed to be. And my, you know, we, I don't know how spiritual you want to get here, but my, my bishop had said to me, he said, you, he said, here's the funny thing. You were so focused on the city that God wanted to give you the nation. If you were still focused on, oh. okay, you, 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 you thought the city was your spot. God wanted you to have the nation. So he set you up. You ran that race. You lost it. You went a different path. And now you're a nationally known leader on national TV. Like you're, you're working on races across the nation. And I was so tunnel vision, just hurt over that. And I could have gotten stuck there and it could have paralyzed me. It could have kept me frozen. And I could have been in a pit of despair. And thank goodness, it was like, wait a minute, now what's next? And I had to turn around. And there was this, this window. And I was like, I'm going through that window. Let's go. And it was even bigger. The thing that was waiting on me at the window was even bigger than the thing that I was staring at. Yeah, that's how it works. But we don't have the faith to believe that. We, we get so fixated. And so I always say, sometimes a different path is the better path. So don't be, if you've been staring at that door, don't stare at it no more. give yourself a time limit so when did you realize that you had made your smart career and money move when did you realize because i mean you were staring at the door you ended up going through the window all these great things you know transpired at what point did you sit back and and reflect and say i did it i did i made the right choice by all, all this windy road that i took it was the right thing. How do you know? It was that day. And I talked about it in my TED Talk too. When I was sitting on the round table with George Stephanopoulos. Now, mind you, this was a whole year and a month after I left council. So I lost the election over I was on council till January. A whole year later. Now, mind you, I've gone on and done my consulting business. I'm the CEO of DFA. I get the opportunity to go work for ABC, which was a whole... That's a whole story about how that even came about and the miracle that I had never been on national TV before. And they had mm. never given an offer for someone to join the round table as like, I, I worked for Disney after one appearance on the round table. Mm. So I'm on my first appearance. I don't work for ABC. I, I have met with some people at ABC. They said, well, you know, can you talk to some of our reporters? I talked to them. Um, they said, we, do you want to do the show this weekend? I said, no, I turned it down. I wasn't ready. 
sometimes you got to do that too. So I was there on a Friday. They wanted me to stay in New York, do the show on Sunday. I said, I'm not ready. So we fast forward to it. So then I said, no. And then they called me back and they gave me five dates. I picked the date I wanted. I came back and then I was ready. As ready as you could be for somebody who had never been on TV. I sat in the chair. It's February, a year after the mayor's race is over. And I'm like, okay, I got a new path. And I sat down and I looked at my hands, steady as we go. I was, I felt, I felt ready. And George looked at me and he said, welcome to the table. And I said, thank you, George, let's go. And I killed it. And I knew I did. (laughs) And by the time I got my foot in the door at the green room, George's producer was calling like, you want to come back? And I was like, absolutely. Like, you want to meet with some executives at ABC when you come back? I was like, absolutely. And it was that meeting where they said, we want you to join the team. And I got a contract to join ABC's team, a two-year contract that I've now renewed twice. Wow. So yeah, and they and, and they were even asking me like, how did you do that? And I was like, what? And they were like, you just seemed so comfortable. Like you didn't, most people get nervous. And I was like, I just felt like I belong there. I sat in that seat. That was my seat. I just, I, I didn't feel nervous wow. for one second. And it was funny because my husband was watching at home and he was just like, and then I went back and watched it at home. And I was like, man, I did do good. Like I'm just, I just felt like I was at a table with a bunch of other people who, I felt like I belong there. No, imagine if I was the mayor of Cincinnati, I would not be at that table. I would have never been at that table. So closed doors and windows can lead places that you, I didn't have national correspondent on my vision board. That was, I didn't even see that. That wasn't even a part of, but once I got into this path, And I can't tell you how many people I've been able to impact by being a voice on national television. And for me, that's the X, right? That's one of the X's is how many people come up to me and say, man, I just feel seen. Thank you for representing us. You know, that whole thing. And that has just been a joy, you know, to do that. Something I just didn't see and wasn't expecting. I mean, I'm blown away. Like I'm so inspired by everything you have going on. And I know this is just the beginning. Like yeah. this is literally just the beginning. More. So what are you reading? What are you listening to? Or or even what have you put in place um, that has helped you continue to elevate your career and also maintain your sense of fulfillment? I take a lot what, in. What's something the audience can... I take okay. a lot in. I love reading autobiographies. I like reading stories about how people got to where they are. For me, that's since I was a kid, that's something that I've always loved. So, you know, Michelle Obama, um, Michelle Obama's books, the light we carry just got that one, got that on my, you know, Robin Roberts book about how she got to where she is. Anything, the Oprah's book. I like the resources. I've read books about Clarence Thomas, Benazir Bhutto, any leaders that I see out there who are doing amazing things. I usually read their biographies or their autobiographies, either the book they, they read. I read um, Condoleezza Rice's autobiography. I thought it was very insightful. Um, so I like to read stories by people or about people who are doing amazing things. So if you're in corporate America, maybe, you know, whoever your favorite Fortune 500 leader is or if you're a nonprofit, like read that person's book. And if there's multiple, read both of them, um, you know, read the one that's written about them and read the one that they write. I learn a lot. You know, one of my one of the biggest things for me, especially in this season right now, podcast or um, otherwise is like the Calm app. <laughs> I'm like the queen of self-care now. So anything that's just like self-care oriented, like I'm all in that. Like the Calm app has so many great, um, like the daily move. Um, Jay Shetty has an amazing um, daily meditation um, on the Calm app. But then I also like, you know, I, Gold Digger has an amazing podcast that I follow. I just, it's, you know, I'm on planes a lot. So I end up like a lot of these different podcasts and typically, Right now, it's just been about self-care because that is a very important and a whole nother topic that I'm sure you're going to cover with a future guest, you know, how we combat burnout, how we make sure that we're not pouring from an empty cup. How do we make sure we have enough to give? And I don't go a day without opening my comment just because I just have to be, what is my intention for today? What do I want to accomplish today? Setting my brain for the day. Um, saying my word, what is my purpose word for today? You know, what is the word for, for today? Saying my affirmations in the morning so that I know who I am and what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm in that space now. And I think that, you know, probably all of your listeners, because they're probably high-powered achieving people, could hopefully learn a little bit from that. 
I, I know they can. I'm right and there I'm with you. This, and I'm going to add this podcast to my mm-hmm. list, too. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're going to be on somebody's self-care, motivation. Somebody is going to capture this podcast and they're going to save it and they're going to listen to it over and over again because I hope so. It definitely, um, you know, gave a lot. Thank you. The listeners want to follow you and all the great yeah. things you're doing. Where can we find Dude. you? Where where, and how can we support your brand? I am on LinkedIn, uh, Simpson78. I am on Instagram, YSimpson01. I am on Twitter for now. <laughs> YSimpson <laughs> Simpson Power. Um, at Y Simpson Power. Okay. And um, I'm launching, I'm relaunching my website. You can find me though now at evettesimpson.com. Um, we have a place that if you want to reach me there, you can, you can email me, um, Yvette at evettesimpson.com. Like I said, I'm always willing to help um, anybody um, who is wanting to take this purpose journey um, and to get to a path where you're living this life of fulfillment because you're doing the thing that just is what you're meant to do. And there's so much peace in that. And my whole mission, I always say, is to help people use their power to change the world in small and large ways. And if I can help people do that, then the world will be a better place. So reach out to me in all those places. I'd be happy to help out in any way I can. And the book will be out this spring. So look for um, On Purpose, The Power of Authenticity and Intention. May that Simpson. Well, I personally can't wait to get the book. I want a signed copy. I'm putting that out there. Um, But I can't thank you enough for being a guest today on the Smart Career and Money Move podcast. You shared so many gems. I learned a bunch. I've taken some notes, things I need to incorporate into what I'm doing. And I just can't thank you enough for being a guest and for sharing your wisdom and your expertise. And I encourage all my listeners to follow up with you. Visit her website, check her out. And we'll be waiting patiently for that book so we can get... All, all of the tea. All the tea. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for doing this, Jerry. Thank you so much, Yvette. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode as much as I did, be sure to hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star review, or share this podcast with those in your network that are striving to make smart career and money moves. Till next week. Bye.